Welcome to episode 11 of Dads Do the News. My name is Dave, and I am joined, as always, by my good friend Isaac. Isaac, how the heck are you? I am so the heck good, Dave. I, uh, I'm i great. I've started a new position at work, which I'm really excited about, and uh, things are going well. Is it more of a downward dog position than uh, lotus butterfly? Yeah, it stretches my thighs more than my last one did, but it's good. I think I can hold it longer. <laughs> is it like a standing desk or something like that? <laughs> I actually do have a standing desk. Do you? I have a... Um, yeah. Well, my desk is actually standing all of the time. Sometimes I sit at it, and sometimes I stand <laughs> near it, but it I always can count on that desk to be standing right there every single morning when I show up. It has never been laying down. So, And, and I'm also in a good mood. Because the U.S. won the World Baseball Classic this week. Now, is that like the Little League World Series? It's, you know, we talked about this, didn't we, uh, on a phone call. It is, I, I still hold that it's more famous, more more widely viewed and covered than the Little League World Series. But yes, Not this possible. is the, it's the World Cup of Baseball, essentially, every four years uh, they host, they hold a big tournament all around the world where the national teams of the different countries play. And this is the first, first time the U S has won. And, and it's only the fourth time it's been held. It's a relatively recent thing. The first one was held in 2006. Right. And I have a feeling that the baseball world, what is it? The baseball world cup, baseball, baseball, the world baseball classic WBC. Hmm. Could use a better name. But anyway, um, I have a feeling that this is the sort of thing that everywhere else in the world, other than the United States and Latin America, people are like, the heck is that? It's kind of how we feel about like the Cricket World Cup. We're like, wow, there's enough people to fill a stadium and watch cricket. Yeah. It's like eh, it's like the Commonwealth Games. Yeah. It's like, who are these guys running around these bases and why are they swinging sticks? I have a feeling that's how everybody else feels about baseball in general. <clears throat> Well, so, I'm a fan of baseball, and so I enjoyed seeing the USA kick some butt, as as you should have. And I'm 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 proud of our of our of our uh, of our winning team, as usual. Um, we like to dominate, and it turns out that uh, one topic has been dominating the news uh, this uh, weekly cycle, and it is not anyone other than Donald Trump. So. Um, it's been a full week of Trump news, and so we're actually going to have to hit it this week. Um, we can't ignore him anymore. Uh, we need to talk about Trump. Is that okay with you? He's, uh, it's yeah, it's fine. I, you know, you, the first thing we've got on the list is the Supreme Not Court Trump. nominee. <laughs> well, he's Trump. <laughs> and I, extension. I am, a, I am like a surprising nerd for legal news. For I don't know because I'm not a lawyer, but I've always I love when. Nina Totenberg gets on NPR and does her little Supreme Court impersonations and things. I love that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's some good stuff. Um, well, I'm going to do that for you today. So Neil Gorsuch is a uh, circuit judge on the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals. He is from Colorado, and uh, he is considered a conservative centrist. In other words, um, not a conservative Pinterest. That would be like a Pinterest board with lots of pictures of <laughs> Ronald Reagan and guns and more Ronald Reagan. No, it he is a centrist. Um a centrist Pinterest. What would be on there? Like Huntsman and John Kasich. <laughs> anyway <laughs> Um <laughs> Uh so he uh he is basically he's gonna he's gonna be uh 
appointed to the court. And if it were any other year other than, than uh, 2017, and if we hadn't just seen the non-consideration uh, of Merrick Garland, um, the Democrats in the Senate would be jumping up and down, clicking their heels together because they've, they will have gone from uh, Antonin Scalia, who was a brilliant jurist by any, um, by any measure, but also an arch-conservative, to this guy who, you know, he's going to be conservative for sure, but, but he, uh, you know, I think that really when you're comparing him to his predecessor, he's probably going to be a step down. Um, he's certainly not going to be an Alito or a Thomas. So I think it... Yeah, it's uh, funny, all it, the... <clears throat> All the um, th- all the charts and things that I've seen, or the the interviews that I've heard, most people place him as either as conservative or slightly more conservative than Scalia. But I don't really feel like there. I think in a lot of legal questions, talking about the liberal conservative spectrum almost doesn't even make sense. Right. Do you understand because, what I'm saying? Yeah, because there are so many issues that don't fit in the neat political divide that we've worked the country into. You know, uh, Republicans are hard on crime, and and Democrats are soft on crime, and Republicans like money and corporations, and Democrats like marijuana and hippies. Um, and most legal issues don't fit into those, especially the legal issues that lawyers deal with every single day very rarely fit into one camp or the other, but even the legal issues that the appellate courts and even the Supreme Court deal with, they don't, they don't fit into those camps. So like, uh, Scalia was very conservative in terms of, um, uh, economics and in terms of, uh, corporate philosophy and regulatory schemes and all of that and power of the president versus power of Congress, whatever. Uh, but he was he was very uh, libertarian when it came to Fourth Amendment rights and um, and that kind of stuff. So anyway, the, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that that Gorsuch, I think, would be a would be a he'd be a shoe in um, if it were any year other than 2017 uh, based on his qualifications. He's a pretty amiable guy. Um, so he'd be good for the court. Um, yeah. But so there, there's this comment I want to make about his opening statement. So he gave an opening statement to the committee um, when he started his hearings. And I want to quote really briefly from it because he's from Colorado, right? And you and I uh, are both from the West as well. You grew up some in what? Washington State? Is that right? And then in Utah. Utah and Idaho. Yeah. A little bit in Montana. Yeah. And I I, I grew up, let's just say mostly I grew up in Utah and California. Um, Not in that order. California, but mostly Utah. But um, (laughs) okay. So this is what he said. He said, In the 10th Circuit, we hear cases from six different states covering two time zones and 20% of the continental U.S., but in the West, we listen to one another respectfully. Okay, dot, dot, dot. My law clerks tell me that 97% of the 2,700 cases I've decided were decided unanimously and that I have been in the the majority 99% of the time. That's my record, and that's how we do things in the West. And I heard this on the radio, Dave, and my first thought was, what the heck is he talking about? Have you ever been to Bunkerville? <laughs> like, like, seriously, what does he even mean that's how we do things in the West? Like, I love the West, but nothing that he said there has seems it in any way unique to the West. Well, I think there is... Um... Uh, I don't know if you've well, you spent some time back east in college and in other oh, yeah. uh, endeavors. And um, when he says the West, I think what he's really referring to is the Mountain West, and because that's that's really the Tenth Circuit is the Mountain West, um, right? 
And, you know, there is a certain level of, um, I don't want to say congeniality, but, you know, you don't just go around ruffling people's feathers. And I hate to say it, but New Yorkers, they kind of, it's almost like they enjoy pissing you off. It's like, yeah, we like baseball, we like hot dogs, we like pizza without anything on it that you can fold in half, and we like pissing people off. Um, so I, I can see where he's coming from, but, but, uh, yeah, it's kind of a silly thing to say. I mean, it's not like well, the whole thing bragging about how he's in the majority 99% of the time. And then he's like, that's how we do it in the West. It's like, I don't know. It's like, he's like saying like, that's how the West was won. I'm amazing. Like, look at me. I'm from Denver. Yeah, yeah. for sure. <clears throat> we have mountains. Yeah. No, but I, I like the guy. I mean, he seems everyone agrees that he's a, a very smart person, uh, eminently qualified, a fair-minded judge. I think everybody who has worked with him, many people have put out statements, people who have been allies and adversaries of him have jointly put out statements saying that he's a fair-minded person who approaches each case individually, uh, looking at the facts and the law as they pertain to the specific case. And yet, uh, there is he's expecting some trouble in the Senate. Yeah, well, I uh, I don't know. The 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 there there are Democrats in the Senate from reliably liberal uh states that were going to they were going to filibuster him no matter what. Um and presu- and you know, predictably, uh Chuck Schumer uh in New York and uh some of those uh senators from reliably liberal uh states have said they're going to filibuster him. So um, what that means is the Senate is the Senate Republicans are not going to be able to get to their filibuster-proof 60 votes, and so there's two options here. Um, they can either go get a new nominee, which they're not going to do because they love Gorsuch, or the Republicans who control the Senate can, by a simple majority, change the Senate rules and say we don't need a filibuster-proof vote. We're just going to do an up and down. 51 votes gets us there. Uh, rule change, and I think they're going to do it. And so the Democrats will get out of this a the removal of the last hurdle of uh, filibustering on presidential appointments, which <clears throat> is you know uh, the, there's a lot of hand wringing about. Oh my gosh, we're doing away with the with the uh, with the filibuster. But number one, that's not true, and number two, I think that's actually a good thing. It used to be if you wanted to filibuster something, you had to be Jimmy Stewart. You had to go and you had to stand there and you had to talk until you passed out. Um, and it's been yeah, that but way now since. you can filibuster something by just saying I'm filibustering, right? Right. So the rules were changed in 1976 to allow the Senate to go on with its normal business um, while the fil- filibuster was going on. In other words, no longer did you have some wackadoodle standing in the well of the Senate talking for 15 hours straight or 25 hours straight and preventing the work of the Senate from going on. And this was done because of Southern Democrats, I believe, I think, I'm not positive on this, but I assume it was done because some Southern Democrats, not Southern Democrats, not Southern Democrats, yeah, Southern Democrats were repeatedly filibustering um, uh, civil rights legislation in the Senate. And they just stand down there and talk and talk. Strom Thurmond did it quite a bit and a few others. And so in 1976, the Senate said, okay, you know what, we'll let you filibuster, but get out of the well and we'll do the rest of our normal business. Well, the uh, unintended consequence of that is that it's a lot easier to filibuster something when you don't have to be stand there, standing there talking. And so in the last... Yeah, it costs oh, you nothing, right? Basically. Right. Maybe it costs you something politically, but it's just basically like, uh, I filibuster, you can't move on with this thing. Right, and so um, you don't have to have a bag tied to your leg for, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> um, before this rule was changed, when you had to stand, 
could they shut you down with a cloture vote of 60 votes or would, mm. could you just hold the floor until you're done talking? You no, the, the cloture is a relatively recent um, event, and I'm not sure um, when the cloture vote was added. But it wasn't, you know, in 1806 when filibustering was first allowed. Um, no, you you talked until you fell down. Um, <clears throat> I think so. Um, and uh, okay. so so I just Wikipedia it. Cloture was first introduced into the United Kingdom Parliament in 1887 to overcome obstructionism by the Irish Republican Party. Right. And uh, I think in the Wilson United introduced States, it was adopted as well. 19, pretty 1917, soon after that. I think. I think it was actually 1917. Yeah. Uh, uh, so anyway, Man, um, so from 1806... Who knew that we'd have such an exciting episode talking about obscure parliamentary <laughs> procedure rules? Yeah. So until 1917, <laughs> you could talk until you dropped. Um, and uh, so anyway, um, and 60 votes is required to invoke cloture, and so that brings virtual um, filibusters to a stop. Well... I'm a firm believer that if you believe in something enough to fill or filibuster it, then get your butt down in the well and start reading phone books. Um, so anyway, I see this as uh, double positive. We're going to get a ninth uh, justice on the Supreme Court, and we're going to do away with one more area of filibustering. And hopefully, well, not you can still filibuster, but virtual filibustering, and hopefully we'll do away with it in the Senate for good soon because I think it's an impediment to democracy. The party that's in power, let them get their legislation in place, let them do their thing, and if it's lawful, vote the bums out. And that's yep. the way I think it should be. That's This is America, and that's how we do things. Uh. That's how we do things in the West. Yeah. I don't know what the rest of the country does, but in the West, we vote out bad politicians. Um, yeah. that's actually not true for the record <laughs> um, at all. I am a little sympathetic to the Democrats plight here because we should just briefly mention that there was a, a I think a terrible precedent setting maneuver by Republicans when they refused to uh, even hold the nomination for Merrick Garland, President Obama's nominee to replace Scalia when there was something like 11 months before the election or at least before the next inauguration. And they said, oh, we don't have time. It's too close to the election to deal with this. Um, start your stopwatch and see how long it takes for Gorsuch to get on the bench, right? Uh, no, I agree. A purely I agree. political play. And I recognize that it's extremely frustrating from the Democrats' point of view where it's like, look, Obama was basically robbed of an appointment. And we shouldn't reward the Republicans for this by giving them their choice. But the Republicans have really put them in a hard place. Personally, I like Gorsuch. Um, I tend to be a more conservative judicial philosophy. And so, you know, that's the type of person that I would probably enjoy seeing on the court. That said, I think that uh, Merrick Garland should be on uh, Supreme Court justice right now. Well, I don't know, because if, if Clinton, if everything had gone the Democrats way and Clinton had won the, Hillary Clinton had won the presidency and the Senate had, uh, Democrats had picked up the Senate seats they thought they were going to, um, I donut to dollars, Merrick Garland, I think, would have withdrawn his nomination and they would have nominated somebody a bit more to their liking rather than a centrist. So... Um, it was a political play both ways a little bit, and the Dems lost, and so the Republicans get the spoils. Um, you Fair know, enough, I mean, but either way, Neil Gorsuch will be the next Supreme Court justice, and it probably will go through with a change in the Senate rules. 
Yeah. So it'll yay, be an up American democracy. That's the way we do things in America. Speaking of democracy, how's your health insurance? Uh, I actually really like my health insurance. Um, yeah, mine's okay. Yeah, I have a high deductible plan with a health savings account, and call me crazy, but I love it. I love it. That's partially because I'm young and relatively young and relatively healthy. My family I'm is, crazy. and so yeah, we we fill up our health insurance, our HSA card, with the max contributions every year, and you know, just watch that thing <laughs> balloon. Now, do they do they roll over? Oh yeah, you get it for life. Yeah. So for and a health savings account, contribute? my employer contributes a little. Um, I contribute uh, more, most of it. Uh, so. And you can use it yeah. for health trips to South America and the Caribbean. Oh yeah, anything that you know, I get a full body massage once a week. Just kidding. Nice. Um, anything that <laughs> IRS, you can justify as a health expense. <laughs> <laughs> well, the way you know, so for the uh, when you're swiping the card, there are some checks about. Um, whether or not you're spending it at an approved vendor. So if you swipe the card at like Home Depot, it's going to get rejected. But when you submit something for reimbursement, reimbursement, there is no human that reviews that. Uh, basically, it's just like, oh, you want to have $10,000 reimbursed? Sure, here you go. And if you ever get audited, you better have the paperwork. But right. other than that, it's, it's, it's the audit. I am not you. saying I do that. I do not do that. I am honest with my HSA. But yeah, healthcare has been in the news as well because um, the Republicans are having a bit of trouble getting their replacement for Obamacare through Congress. So they were supposed to hold a vote. (laughs) Yeah, just a little bit of trouble. Turns out that the Republicans, uh, remember when we covered this a while ago when um, John Boehner was like, they're not going to repeal and replace it. They can't agree on anything. Yeah, Uh, I don't care. The profit. (laughs) Anyway. the cigar-smoking uh, prophet hold, from Ohio. <clears throat> they were supposed to hold a vote tonight to uh, pass the bill in the House, their American Health Care Act, the AHCA. Um, and they have postponed it until at least tomorrow morning because they have not been able to get the votes together. There's a group of super conservative Republicans called the Freedom Caucus. It's something like two dozen members. They tend to vote together as a block. So when they are deciding whether uh, a bill uh, should be or should not be supported by the members of that caucus, the caucus members hold a vote themselves. And then I think that the caucus members then vote as a block based on the will of the caucus, whatever. But their main concerns are that the bill does not go far enough in removing government regulations and restoring more of a market, like a true market force to healthcare. So they don't like that the bill keeps uh, requirements for essential benefits in all healthcare plans. So this was something new in Obamacare. In Obamacare, every qualifying healthcare plan had to include things like mental health tr- treatment, wellness visits, maternity and newborn care. Um, uh, they they could not, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, they can't set insurance rates based on a person's gender, medical condition, genetic conditions, other factors. Now. The members of the Freedom Caucus, so I think most people would hear that and sort of be like, well, that's great. Uh, it's great that they can't discriminate on those things and that they have that insurance has to cover these, these nice things. Members of the Freedom Caucus basically say that people should be able to choose insurance that covers what they want. So if, if you don't want insurance that covers prenatal care, you shouldn't have to buy insurance. You should be able to buy insurance that doesn't have that, right? Um, right. 
So I get where they're coming from. It's so complicated, but this is basically going to sink the bill. Yeah. And, um, you know, so my insurance did not qualify for the Affordable Care Act um, when it was passed in. Well, not when it passed, but when the the, the portion requiring um, specific types of care and eliminating risk pooling, when that all came into effect in like 2000 and I want to say 13 is when it hit full effectiveness. Um, my, my insurance didn't qualify. So I had to drop our, our entire firm had to drop the insurance that we had and buy a much more expensive plan that had a bunch of benefits <clears throat> that at least now that I'm young and healthy, we don't really want, um, like, uh, luckily right now we don't need mental health care, but we have to pay for it anyway. So again, I'm, I'm not unsympathetic to their position, but I'm also, I think most people would agree that the health insurance market and health care market in general in circa 2009, which is really where the Freedom Caucus wants to go back to, was not a good system. It was not an effective system. It wasn't an, a system that provided the health care benefits that we kind of as a country feel like most people should be able to have. Um, so yep. I don't know that they really represent a very large block of the population when they say we want to go back to 2008. I I agree with you. In fact, but I would I would say that they would probably say that they don't want to go back to 2008, that even in 2008, they probably felt there was too much governmental interference <laughs> in the healthcare market. I, I bet they, they would go say back that. to 1923. Uh, yeah. 1923 <laughs> would probably sound about right to them. Um, yeah, no, I agree I with you. I think that the way it was just prior to Obamacare passing was not sustainable. There were too many people who were unable to access uh, healthcare, especially people with chronic conditions that they may have received, you know, think of like a type one diabetic that, got diabetes through no fault of their own. Uh, we don't know what causes type 1 diabetes. Uh, we know the we know the action in the body, but we don't know what triggers it to start. And so, parents you know, it, there's they were too born. many people who don't... <laughs> there's too many people who don't... Couldn't access healthcare, and I don't think very many people want to go back to that. It's so complex. Um, I am not a huge fan of Obamacare, but I am less of a fan of uh, the Republicans' plan, personally. Just call it Ryan Care. Just do it, Ryan Care. Sorry, there I know you go. loved. I know you loved that idea of Ryan Care. I, I thought I had invented it, but I've read it on other places in the blogosphere. So either well, we have you, a lot you more. You may have listen- invented it <laughs> independently. Yeah, either that, or we have a lot more listeners than our stats uh, lead us. Uh, That's right. Uh, All the bloggers <laughs> listen to dads do the news. They ought to. So yeah, oh. vote, potentially a vote tomorrow morning, which this will be released tomorrow morning. So by the time people listen to this, there's a good chance the vote will have already taken place. Um, my, I predict that it won't pass. I think that it will go down in flames and it will be a, a, a pretty severe blow to Trump's uh, agenda starting off his presidency. So funny you should say that because I was actually reading the news uh, right before we hopped on here. And basically Trump and his surrogates are going around telling people, look, if it doesn't happen tomorrow, it's not going to happen at all. And Trump is going to move on to other things. And it's like, well, first of all, boy, that's a gamble. Second... Um, it turns out, Mr. President, that Congress is perfectly capable of legislating without you. Um, and they would probably prefer to legislate without you. So you may yeah. move on to other things, but I think this will continue <laughs> to stew for a while. Yeah, I think that there's a chance that Trump doesn't actually mind. Like, if he can blame it on Congress that his health care plan didn't go through, that would suit him fine. 
Yeah, well, they want to they want to tie it around his neck. They're both. It's. I think it's funny this dance that Trump and Ryan are doing. They're each trying to tie it around the other's neck because they see this is going to be a complete albatross. It's going to. So, be interesting to see. That was nice. That was very nice and eloquent. Well, that's what they pay me the big bucks for. Speaking of eloquent, <laughs> that's an elephant fart. In case you wondered, um, a, a GOP fart. Um, okay, so. Uh, Donald Trump uh, loves Russia. He loves Russian women. He loves uh, Russian drinks. Uh, he loves Russian money. He just loves Russia. And isn't his um, wife Belarusian? Isn't she from Belarus? I think she is from Belarus. I think you're right. Um, but he's definitely um, he's got a thing for for uh, for the Russia. Um, and uh, that uh, was apparent throughout his uh, campaign. And there are clear connections between three of his uh, major advisors. Well, they're being cast as minor advisors now, but during the campaign they were major advisors. Um, Paul Manafort, Carter Page, and Roger Stone. Um, and I keep thinking, did Roger Stone make movies? Like, was he a movie guy back in the day? No, I think you're thinking of somebody else. I know who you're thinking of... Um Oliver Stone. You're thinking of Oliver Stone. Oh, well, that just cleared up so much in my brain because I'm thinking, <laughs> why is Oliver or why is this Roger Stone guy going around giving advice? But I'm thinking of Oliver Stone. Whew. Oh, the world is now at peace again. Anyway, these three guys um, and, and others, but these are the main three uh, uh, focuses right now definitely had contacts with Russian intelligence and Russian diplomats who are also t intelligence agents throughout the campaign. And uh, some of them, like uh, Mr. Manafort, well before the campaign. And actually, Paul Manafort is now uh, believed to have been in the employ of um, basically Putin's main stooge for a while. Um, and so there's lots of smoke showing that Russia really wanted Trump to win the election, and Trump really likes Russia. Um, the House is doing uh, an investigation. Uh, the Justice Department is doing an investigation. They're all investigating what the links are between Russian efforts to throw the American election, which there definitely were, and the Trump campaign. Were they just the un the the intended but unwitting beneficia beneficiaries of these actions, or did they actually uh, uh, act in concert? Were they apprised of the situation? Uh, were they aware and participating in what was going on? And I want to be clear, there's nothing wrong with Russia attempting to meddle in our uh, elections in the sense that they have their cable news network that nobody watches, where they talk about how great their preferred candidate is. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But the problem is, if, they, if they're hacking private email accounts and breaking the law to do it, then that's a problem. And that's what, if, if, if anyone in Trump's campaign knew that that was going on and was complicit in it, then I think if there's clear evidence discovered of that, then Trump's going to burn because it's illegal. Yeah, I think that there's. we should point out that there has been nothing found yet that is illegal activity. So even whoa, Manafort, whoa, whoa. when he was working for the, um, the Russian, well, he was working for like a Russian oligarch or something like that, right? Like yeah, Putin, He was buddy. a paid contractor and... It's it was wasn't illegal what he was doing at the time, right? There's there's no direct evidence of illegal activity on the part of Trump or any of his staff so far. Okay, good. I'm glad you clarified that because absolutely, uh, the Russian FSB uh, encouraged, paid for, purchased, and participated in illegal hacking activities. That is 
Oh, well, beyond sure. question. And it just yeah, but who look, knew? You think the U.S. doesn't do participate in illegal hacking activity against Russia like all the time? You think the U.S. does not actively try to influence the elections of other countries, uh, both near our country but also around the world? Absolutely, we do. Oh, of right? course. Like um, the the fact that Russia we... tried to do this or even somewhat succeeded in doing this, I, I mean, it's mildly annoying that our computer systems are not uh, that people were careless enough to do these things. But it's wholly expected in my mind, and not at all shocking. Um, I'm sure the U.S. engages in this kind of behavior too. What will be shocking if it's discovered is if there was any type of collusion or even knowledge of these activities by members of the Trump campaign prior to the election. Yeah, and it will be interesting to see if WikiLeaks has anything to reveal about the Trump campaign. I, I rather suspect, basically, the, the intelligence community has concluded that WikiLeaks is just another arm of, of Russian intelligence at this point. Um, so we'll see if, if they if they, uh, if they they have any secret releases about the Trump campaign and when they knew it and who knew and, and whatever, but I kind of doubt it. So we'll see. I, I think it's, it's, it's interesting um all of the i mean it's political theater but but it's it's surprising that this administration is so mired in in conflict and controversy so maybe it's not surprising but that they have it's this not much surprising. controversy going on about i mean russia it's not is, surprising yeah. at all <laughs> yeah i guess not i mean yeah Okay, so yeah, well, um, we knew this was going to happen when when Trump was elected. We knew that it was going to be like this. And, and here's the thing: Trump is. I have previously predicted because you know I love predictions, even if I'm wrong. I love to make them. I've predicted that Trump will not last the four years, and I'll extend that that prediction. That um, I, my bet is that the thing that would, if he doesn't make it four years, the thing that would cause that to happen is something related to the Russia investigation. It may not be Russia directly, but it, it may be something that they discover in the course of investigating these investigations as these, yeah, yeah, something else. But this will be the genesis of the thing that brings him down. That's my prediction. Yeah, highly possible. Um, last bit of Trump news. Uh, one of the favorite uh, complaints of, of uh, right-wing Republicans, uh, Donald Trump, is the amount of money he spent on his travel budget. Uh, flying out to Hawaii for family vacations and no 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 uh, Obama did, not Trump you said you said Trump did I say Trump I'm so sorry you mean Obama yeah. flying the to complaint Hawaii that they made his, against Obama yeah I, you're right yes absolutely I apologize misspeak uh, against President Obama is all the trips he made to Hawaii and globe trotting and bringing his mom to the White House for Thanksgiving and all of that jazz uh, uh, Mrs Obama and the kids going on trips yada 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 well it turns out that um, in the first, what are we into? The first couple of months of his Trump's presidency, a Secret Service. Yeah, I think already, under a hun- under a hundred days still. Yeah, uh, they've already exceeded the annual budget for um, travel expenditures <laughs> to take care of Trump. His what does he have? Five kids? I don't know. Lots of kids. Uh, Ivanka Barron, the New York residents, the Florida residents, the obviously the Washington residents, all of that. They've already exceeded their annual budget. He's going to blow that budget up. Um, and their, uh, uh, their response to the complaints is, you know what, this is what the president does. Presidents travel, it costs money, just deal with it. And that's true. I just think it's kind of rich that that's, that's the position they're taking now with this most expensive president travel budget ever. Yeah. I um, think again, like a lot of other things, what Trump's doing in terms of keeping a residence in New York and Florida and the white house, it's not illegal. 
it's inconsiderate, I think, in a lot of ways. But when was Trump known for being a modest, considerate person when it comes to the expenditures? Never. Right. Absolutely. I'm just glad that they're only providing for his current wife and children because if they had to pay for his current wife, past wives, paramours, everybody, imagine what that budget would look like. <laughs> well, that's because Trump doesn't care about them anymore. So if they get compromised, it's not uh, it's not any sort of problem for the nation's security because Trump will just be like, sure, whatever. Do whatever what you want. I don't I care don't about care. that lady. <laughs> I'm famous. I don't care. <clears throat> okay. And yeah. uh, I think now, uh, if, if you're okay, I think uh, now that we've uh, beaten Trump to death, we can hit dad news. Dad news. I've been what looking forward to this. I know you have. All right, Dave. When you were yeah. a kid, did you lose any teeth? Actually, I lost them all. No, that's good. Did you know I, I work once. with a guy who still has his has some of his baby teeth? What? Like in yeah, a in like a little case out. in his pocket? No, no, no. In his mouth, still attached to his gums. <laughs> yeah, he has so a few. Got really teeny teeth. <clears throat> Just a few. Yeah, you can't really tell because most of his. Anyway, so when you were a kid uh, and you lost a tooth, did the tooth fairy come to your house? occasionally i am i'm trying to remember how much i got like my memories i think i got a quarter when i was really young um when do you start losing teeth i have a four we each have kids who are about four and a half right and neither of them lost teeth you must start like seven something like six or seven yeah a couple years from now yeah so when i was i remember for sure getting a quarter i may have gotten as much as a dollar but um (laughs) there is inflation in tooth fairy land Dave. Shut up. No. No, total. So not only that, this is really the news. That This is news right here. There is a company that does a national tooth fairy survey every year and has done so for 20 years. Well, there's Isn't only one awesome? tooth fairy. There's only one tooth fairy. How hard can it be to survey her? Yeah. Well, they actually <laughs> survey <laughs> many <laughs> households. <laughs> yuck, 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 yuck. <laughs> um, and they have found that over the last 20 years tooth fairy inflation has risen by like 10 percent per year Free on average kids. now if you could have in, if you could invest in that that's a good return on your investment good roi tooth fairy money if you could like buy first. the futures of uh tooth fairy kids money <laughs> well but that you, re- you recognize a good investment <laughs> yeah you recognize though no, that that would require you to buy teeth from kids because <laughs> yeah, you're trading the teeth for the money and that's disgusting yeah so that's true. You like go up to a kid and you're like, hey, kid, if you give me all your teeth right now, I'll give it to you for 75 cents a tooth. <laughs> <laughs> and then you put it under your and your wife there's, calls. There's, the a lot of kids, there's a lot of kids who would go for that. <laughs> yeah, there are. <laughs> so actual inflation has gone up by something like 2% per year. So the question is, why is tooth fairy inflation going up? Do you have any ideas? Uh, only because I can see the show notes. <laughs> oh <laughs> well don't read ahead okay well here here's one of the main theories which is that um people spend their money when people get more money higher incomes and incomes have gone up quite a bit over the last 20 years um as and costs and things have gone down but when your income rises you don't spend all of that money and you don't spend it evenly on the things you used to spend before so here's an example dave i know that you make something like two hundred thousand dollars a year now Right. (laughs) (laughs) You live in like a sultan down in Mesquite, Nevada. (laughs) Yes, I'm getting a back massage as we speak. (coughs) 
So let's just say that you are a small town lawyer in a town uh, like Mesquite, Nevada. You're you work at, at the premier law firm there. Let's just this is just a hypothetical, and sure, let's just sure. say that you make a base salary of two hundred thousand dollars a year. <laughs> um, if if I were to <laughs> if I were to double your salary. So you have $400,000 a year. <laughs> you probably would not double your expenditures on all the things. So like, you're like, oh, I have double the money I used to have. It's very unlikely that a household that, would get, that has double the money spends twice as much on food, right? We do. Um, we do. We do. Have you seen me recently? You, you, we do. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. You're eating for two, Dave. That, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that's, that's your wife <laughs> anyway um you wouldn't double your what you spend on food um you might double what you spent on housing if your salary really doubled but most people probably not would not go and buy a twice as expensive house but you'd spend a little more on these things and these things but the theory is that there are some things that you would double your expenses on in fact there are some things you might more than double your expenses on and your children is one of those things yeah so no, you might start buying better more than twice as you might spend twice as much on toys you probably will spend more than twice as much on the tooth fairy like where you might give them a quarter before you might be like you know what i can i can give them a dollar right even though yeah. that's a what uh 300 in no 400 percent increase um so in what if over a quarter what we're going to do is put a little note under the pillow that says we made a donation to your college fund love the tooth fairy <laughs> love the tooth fairy Anyway, raising kids can be quite expensive, but I think a lot of the punishment that we is self-inflicted. Um, I hear a lot of times, especially when I lived in uh, the Midwest um, and was going to graduate school and was with some older peers, a lot of people were like, oh man, I really want to have kids, but I just can't afford it. Like It's so expensive to have a kid. And you hear these projections people say the cost of having a child is like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to raise them from when they're born to 18 and there's so many ways that they calculate that a lot of it is opportunity cost and lost income if you have a parent that ends up uh, cutting back work or staying home with the children and a lot of people look at those and they say well i can't afford to have a kid there's no way i can afford two hundred and fifty thousand dollars but the fact is that you really end up spending what you have on your children and well, uh this, yes and no. I mean, there are some costs that are fixed. Like my insurance went up when I had a kid. It's going to go up when I have another kid. Um, my, because uh, there's another person to insure. Housing is another big one. Yeah, I, we used to live in a two-room apartment. If we hadn't had kids, we'd probably still live in a yep. two-room apartment. So those are the I'm two not saying there aren't are, costs. I'm saying that it's hard to quantify what they will be because they will vary based on your circumstances and your income, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, and I think well, you like, get it back. Yeah, your insurance went up when you had kids, but you when you before you had kids, you were probably spending a lot more on like entertainment and things like that. You cut back a little mm. on that so you can afford a little more insurance. Like you just you move money around. It works out. We lived in Pahrump, so <laughs> we mainly <sighs> spent our money on antipsychotics. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that place. Well, was crazy. my basic philosophy for all you couples out there who are considering a child and thinking, how can I afford it? Uh, I think you should just, uh, you know, assuming that you basically have the, you know, the basics of life figured out, like you have a job that pays some respectable income, uh, you should just go for it. Go for it. You'll figure it out as you go. It's not going to cost, you don't need $250,000 to raise a child, but you may need, and, and it, 
if it's tooth fairy inflation that's really making you hold back, let me know and I'll spot you 20 bucks. Well, I'm going to give some different advice, which is if you don't want to have a kid, the best method to prevent it is the rhythm method. Stick with that and you'll be safe. (laughs) 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 Wise words from a man who has two kids. (laughs) And a third one on the way. All right. I think uh, we've knocked the tooth fairy dead. We've knocked Trump dead. We've knocked the health care repeal dead. I think we should call it a night. Yeah, I I agree. There is no tooth fairy, by the way. All right, I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. That'll do it for today. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by emailing podcast at dadsdothenews.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at Dads Do The News, and thank you for joining us.